0: Amen. Well, if you have your Bible today, we are in Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, and uh, our goal today is to get through the entire chapter, and I think we will do that, and I think we can do that, and I know some of you, we've had a lot of good side conversations, and Revelation is a tough book, isn't it? It's a very tough book. And there are a lot of good people, a lot of good godly Christians on each side of how to interpret the book and, and this, that, and the other. And I just want to remind you, because we are half, we are truly halfway through the book right now, don't lose your endurance. There's so many details to get wrapped up in. Get wrapped up in what is promised for you in that God wins. Keep that as the forefront. We're going to get in the weeds today. We're going to look at the, the woman, the man-child, the son, uh, and the dragon, and everything in between. But don't forget what it's all about. This book was written to encourage Christians to keep on, keep it on for Jesus Christ and his gospel in this world. If we lose that focus, we've gotten off into other ways. And uh, I pray we do, and I pray we will. Uh, We made more copies of these. This is a study guide that we make in-house about Revelation 11 and Revelation 12. There's about 15 copies out there. Take one, grab it, read it, fall asleep with it, take it, read it, fall asleep with it. Amen? God knows. Take one and do it. If you're getting tired of Revelation, I promise you we are getting closer. But stick with it, and God will be glorified. Let's stand together if you're able to. I know you just sat down, but let's stand again for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to make our way down to the end of the chapter at verse 17. Hear God's Word this morning. And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and his heads seven diadems upon them. His tail, verse 4, swept down a third of the stars of the heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who's to rule over the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was, was caught up to God and to His throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she was uh, prepared a place by God in which she was to be nourished for 1,260 days, or roughly three and a half years. Now war arose, verse 7, in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon who was thrown down, that ancient serpent... Who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down or cast down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And verse 10 I heard a loud voice, John says, in heaven, saying, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down or cast down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. We just sang about that, didn't we? And by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore, verse 12, rejoice, O heavens and those who dwell on the earth. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, and he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is nourished for a time, and at times, and a half a time. Then, verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and after the woman to sweep her away at the flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring and those who keep the commandments of God and to hold to the testimony. And he stood on the sand of the sea. You take nothing else out of this whole chapter, Verse 11, And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, as we look at a difficult passage, but in the midst of this revelation study, perhaps a more straightforward one, we pray that you are glorified. Father, help our ears to be listening, our hearts to be attuned. Whatever is around our minds and our worries, we commit those to you. We cast all cares on you, as your word says, because we... No, you care for us. We pray this today to your glory. May saints be edified and non-Christians be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I once heard a story about a man who asked this question as a little boy. He asked his mom, he said, should I hate Satan? And the mom, being motherly as she was, knowing that the Bible says we should not hate anyone, told the little boy Son, love should extend to everyone, and hatred should have no place in their hearts, even though she knew Satan is not a good guy. Well, that man grew up to be a a pastor, and he was at a student conference one day, and the the question one of the high school students asked him was, should we hate the devil, should we hate Satan, and should we pray for him? And this now pastor remembered back to his mom's guidance on universal love, and he read a proverb from Proverbs 16, 16 through 19. And it says there that the Lord hates a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. The Lord hates a divisive, wicked plan, or feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness spreading lies, and one sowing discord among the brothers. And he read that, and he answered the high school student. He said, you know, nowhere does the Bible say we should pray for Satan. His destiny is sealed, and there's nothing we could say that would make God alter that the Bible remains silent on whether we should hate him. And he went on to say, but one thing remains, Satan harbors a deep-seated hatred for us and his affection lies in death, destruction, evil, and wickedness of everyone in this room, including you and including me, end quote. Remind you of 1 Peter 5, 8, doesn't it? The devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to to devour. And Paul and Peter and everyone around us reminds us that we are called to resist him. Friends, I don't know whether the Bible says to hate Satan or not. It's not clear, but one thing is true. He hates you. He hates God. He hates the church. He hates the gospel. He hates anywhere where Christ is lifted up. And Revelation 12 is a picture of that. Satan would be pleased if we left Jesus in the manger and we didn't talk about his crucifixion, his his burial, his resurrection and ascension. He would be pleased if we saw that he was in charge and he reigns and the Lord doesn't reign. He'd be happy if we would take those things to the grave. But that's not how the Bible works, is it? The Bible says that Satan is defeated and he is defanged. And in fact, we're gonna see that today in part. But what does this look like? Well, that's what we're gonna look about. But one thing you need to know is Satan's number one goal, if there could be one, him and his minions, is that he seeks to destroy your faith. And I want to remind you today with our big idea that only the all-powerful God can prevent Satan from destroying your faith. And if you don't think he can, he will. But the lie that Satan has always had is, did God really say? And you know what the Christian answer to that is all the time? The Lord has said, or thus saith the Lord. In battle, we are not alone. We work, as it were, with the resurrection power by the Holy Spirit in God's economy to fight Satan. And we put on our spiritual armor. We, we we wield the gospel sword. But in all these things, Satan still hates you. And in all these things, his one mission is to come after you. That's what it is. And in Revelation 12, we are going to see three ways that God prevents Satan from destroying our faith. Three ways. A promised Savior, a preserved salvation, and a provision that is secured. And we'll unpack those in the coming moments. But as we get to Revelation 12, you need to know it's the literal halfway point of the book of Revelation. We've gone through the seven seals, we've gone through the seven trumpets, and we are now between here and verse chapter 14, we're going to see a backwards look at what has happened, a forward look at what is going to happen, and eventually we will get into the seven bulls, which is the proverbial end of the world. But Satan himself is going to fight just like any animal who's cornered. And having been on many runs with many animals in places I don't want to talk about and scared to death with nothing to defend myself, I know, Peg always looks at it. We will have that conversation. I can tell you, you don't want to be there. But Satan is cornered. And he knows his end is coming. And what is going to happen here is we're going to see a picture in Revelation 12 of the gospel message from before time, what happened in time, and what's going to happen at the end of time. Does that make sense? but three ways we want to see today. But before we get there, i got to give you an overview because there's a lot to unpack with this. There are three characters, and Amy, if you just want to put that whole slide up, that'd be great. There are three characters, that you will, three symbols that are here that are real but also given some symbolism. They are first the woman. Who is this woman that's mentioned all throughout? Well, the woman mentioned is with the sun, the moon is under her feet, and there are 12 stars. She represents, and I want to just tell you this, she represents, most commentators believe, the Old and New Testament saints throughout all time. This is it. Those who were saved in Israel and those who were saved as Gentiles. And so some think this woman is Mary. Uh, The Catholics take that view. The Christian scientists say that this is Mary Eddie Baker, the former leader of their clan. I mean, this woman gets a whole rack of things, but really she's representing believers of all time. You could even say perhaps the church. She is with the beauty in her eyes, the sun, she has it. The moon represents the authority that she has on the earth. And the 12 stars denote the 12 tribes of Israel in the past. See Joseph's dream in Genesis 37 and the 12 apostles in the New Testament. But what about this dragon? Well, I think that's pretty easy, isn't it? We actually were told that in verse 9. The dragon is Satan himself. Satan is real. Whether or not the polls agree with it, whether or not most evangelicals agree with it, Satan is real. If you profess faith in Jesus but deny that Satan is real, then something is off on those two things. This is not a future monster. The seven crowns, the ten horns, and all these things remind us about who he is and his authority. And there's next, some of you have the King James Version. I actually appreciate you might have this phrase in your Bible They call him the man-child, the man-child, or some of your translations say the son. And this is referring to, of course, exactly what you would think it would refer to. This is Jesus Christ himself. The woman gives birth to a man-child, fulfilling Psalm chapter 2 and verse 9. This represents all of his life and death and ascension. Everything about this child points back to Jesus Christ. There is no mistake about this. Now, there are some commentators and preachers who may disagree on the finer details of what we're saying, but this overview is pretty straightforward. So whether you're a pre-trib dispensationalist, go John MacArthur, left behind series books, or you're a um, whatever old classic theology, symbolism, all millennialism type person, we all agree on this one thing. Amen? That's a good thing in the book of Revelation, by the way. God gave us a halfway point to start off on agreement. So here it is. That is the overview. And we, again, are at the halfway point. And what we see, the big picture of this whole chapter is simply this, two quick lessons here. There are two very straightforward lessons that you'll see. Is that number one, is that in Revelation chapter 12, this is symbolizing and is a literal battle at the same time, and both can happen concurrently, is that there's a battle going on. But the first lesson we learn is that in our trials, Revelation 12 will tell us, is that We trust in Jesus' finished work. Did you hear, as we read through that, how many times Satan was trying to attack the woman, the believers, or the church, and how many times he's trying to attack the Son, Jesus Christ? It was never-ending. He will not stop until the final day, because he knows his day and his time, as the Scripture said, is short. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, Paul wrote, This momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. And we not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Look, Satan will tell you you are weak, but Jesus says my power is made perfect in weakness. Satan will tell you you don't deserve to ask for forgiveness, but Jesus will say seven times 70, or 70 times seven. The reality is Satan wants you to feel alone, attacked, vulnerable, and friends you are. Church, we are, outside of His covering grace. But Revelation 12 says that with Jesus, He understands us, and the church is protected, the believers are protected in the wilderness, just as it says in Revelation 12. The second lesson I want you to get out of this big picture is: before we dive in the details is that we fight from Jesus' victory, not for it. We fight from Jesus' victory, not for it. In other words, we are not going to battle with Satan and having to knock down our enemy in the sense that we are going to defeat him ourselves. Aren't you grateful that the Bible tells you that Satan was defeated once and for all at the cross, as was sin, death, and everything else? We know that we fight from the victory of Jesus, which means every sin that encumbers you, everything that separates you from living out your godly life is possible in the power and strength of Jesus Christ. And that's good news for every addict. That's good news for every closet addict. That's good news for everyone who says they're a Christian but puts on a show. And that's good news for every Christian who is a Christian but doesn't think they are because they sin too much. Because Satan has been defeated, we fight from Christ's victory, not for it. So three things I want you to see, three ways God prevents Satan from destroying our faith. And the first one is this. He promised a Savior. He promised a Savior. And as you see, and Amy, if you just want to on each slide just to put up everything, that'd be great for those taking notes. I know it's a lot of notes. The dragon here is described as having, in verses 1 to 6, as having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. I was going to put a picture up of an artist's depiction of this, and it scared me in my my boots, as you can imagine. It's an ugly picture. But the point of this is, and starting in verse 3, is that it's a symbol of his influence and authority. The seven heads and crowns are what 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 talk about. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and he has hidden the gospel from them. Satan's one job in this world is to take as many people to hell with him as he can, if you want to say that. He will blind everyone to that end. The ten horns here emphasizes the frightening power, verse 3 talks about, that he has, and it shows that he has strength and control. But this adversary, he is a mighty one. He's a terrible one. And down in verse 4, it says that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to earth. Well, I want you to know before we get to that part, what the Bible says. 1 John 5.19 says, we know we are from God and the world lies in the power of the evil one. John 12.31, Jesus said, now this is the judgment of the world. The ruler of the world has been cast out. Who has been cast out? Satan has. Now, when did this happen? We'll explore that a little bit more as we go through the passage. It's possible this was before creation. It's possible this is a picture of the cross. But the point of it is, Satan and his rebellious third stood before God and lost the war. Aren't you grateful for that? He lost. No one can go against God. We heard that in Romans chapter 8. And this seed of the woman, it goes back to the promise that was given to all the people. Genesis 3.15, do you remember the promise that God told Adam and Eve and all of us? The first gospel, he would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would, 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 would try to bite his heel. He'd try and do something, but the head of the serpent is crushed. And so what you are seeing here is this promised Savior is that Christ has done what he said he would do. He's finished the work. And this is where it goes in to verse 4. And you will see that it, he tries to devour. He tries, as some of you some of you may swallow up into verse 4 or devour. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to stop the gospel advance. Satan's goal, again, is to say, Jesus, you're not going to win. I'm going to win. He may send a Cain to kill an Abel. He may send a Pharaoh to hold back God's people. He may send the Philistines or all the uh, Hittites and the Amorites and the Prezerites and all those ites of the Old Testament to stop God's people. But it will never work because God has already crushed the serpent's head. Hebrews, 2, Hebrews 2.15 says it this way. Jesus came to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ was sent to to deliver us from the power of Satan. And he did that once and for all at the cross. Through the cross, whether it be at Gethsemane or Geboa or Golgotha, the cross is a battlefield where Satan is devoured up. And you notice that in verse 5, don't you? Look down at your Bible. She gave birth to a male child, one who's to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Who is that one? Who is it? It's not Satan, it's Jesus. And Jesus here says that the blood of his own life was given to rule. She, the woman, gave birth to a male child, and that male child was, at the end of verse 5, was caught up to God. This is a symbol here of, of what has happened with Christ. He's been caught up. His life, his death, his ascension, his going back up to heaven, and his resurrection all point to the fact that there's nothing that Satan could do to touch him. He may kill him for a moment, but Sunday's a coming. Friday may be terrible and black and dark, but Sunday is a coming and Christ is going to resurrect. And that's why we remind ourselves that because it is finished, your future is safe with God. Because it is finished, your future is safe with God. And that's what I want you to see. Look down at verse six and the woman, Amy, if you wanna go to the next slide, and the woman who fled into the wilderness which was prepared by God, where she was placed there for three and a half years. The wilderness here, most commentators agree, is not a literal place, but it's a place of refuge. It's a place, like the psalmists say, where they were kept safe under the wings of the Lord. And this woman who was kept safe by the blood of Jesus was prepared. Church, I want to remind you again and again and again and again, No matter what this world brings against us, Christ is always enough for your family, for your faith, for your kids, for your culture, for everything. Christ is enough, and we are safe in his hands. Do you believe that? We can sing that child song, he's got the whole world in his hands, and he does because of what Christ has done for us. He promised a savior. And the dragon has, has caused havoc in heaven. He's knocked down. He chases the male child, which is, which is Christ. But Christ's bride, the church, is protected and protected and protected. And that's why we know that all those who are truly saved will endure to the end. Christ said those very things. We worry whether we've lost our salvation, whether this guy knows Christ or that. Look, we need to share the gospel and we need to be firm in what we believe. And if we're truly saved... But I want you to know all those who are truly Christ are held until Christ's return. No one can snatch us out of his hand. The number one way he protected you from Satan destroying your faith was a promised Savior. Second way he protects you is a preserved salvation. Verses 7 through 12, a preserved salvation. You notice there in verse 7 that a war arose in heaven and Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon or devil and the dragon and his angels fought back. And it goes on, but he was defeated. If you're an underliner, underline that phrase. He was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. In verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who's called devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world, was thrown down to earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. What you're seeing here is Christ's victory from different perspectives, whether it's verses 4, through six, or now seven through nine, what you're seeing repetition-wise and teaching-wise is John is seeing an emphasis that Christ has done the victory. Satan fights Michael, he loses. He fights God in heaven, he loses. Wherever he goes, he loses. Now, again, was this before creation, or is this pointing to the cross? Friends, it could be all of those things. We know that God wins at every step of the way. So whether this is a picture of going before the created world in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, or if this is really referring to what John 12:31 says, we don't really know. But I want to read John 12:31 for you again. This is Jesus speaking. He says, now this is the judgment of this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Do you hear that future tense in there? Not was, and he was cast out, but will be cast out. In fact, if you look at your Bible, you may have the word, um, in verse 9, you may have the word thrown down or cast out. Count how many times you have that in verse 9. You should have three times. He was thrown down, cast down, thrown down, cast out, thrown down, cast out. Why Why is he doing that? He's telling you that Satan has been cast out, thrown down from God. In Revelation 12, 9, he's cast from heaven. In Revelation 20, verse 3, he's cast into the bottomless pit. And in Revelation 20, verse 10, he's cast into the lake of fire. Isn't our God good to us? There's significance in all these things because of what is happening here. The cross is viewed not as a low point, but as the high point. It's viewed here as the grounds for the gospel, Genesis 3.15. Because of what Christ has done, he's cast out Satan forever and ever. And this is where we go down to verse 10. Verse 10 tells us what happens now that he has come. The accuser has been cast down. The father has sovereignly seen so. Christ has won the victory. And now the spirit has sealed everything up for us. There are four words in verse 10 that I want you to note. Verse 10 says again, and I heard a voice. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ for the accuser of our brothers has been what? Thrown down, cast out. That's a fourth time in four verses. This is why so many people say, Satan won't leave me alone. Satan won't leave me alone. No, he may not. But you have victory in Christ, Christian, over Satan because of what he has done for you. Do you see why we're not going to chase every detail here? Because the details so the point. Christ has sent a preserved salvation for you. The Father is holding you. The Son has saved you, and the Spirit has sealed you, and we call that the Trinity. Who is this loud voice? We don't know. It could be the 24 elders. It could be a random angel. We have no idea. It wasn't important enough for John. But the bottom line is is that salvation has been given to us in Christ, and that is enough for us to hold our lives upon and build upon. Why has all this occurred because Satan won't let up. You may have that phrase, have come down in verse 10 towards the end. It's just a reminder that salvation is a settled, settled fact. So what does that mean for you? Two quick takeaways before we transition points. There is safety in Christ, and there is also a conquering in Christ. If you're truly in Jesus Christ, Nothing of this world or of the other world will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I sent Nelson the verses this week about what we were reading for scripture reading, I kind of sarcastically said, I I know you don't like these verses. But you know, when Nelson gets excited, he gets excited, doesn't he? And when he read those scriptures, you could feel the passion and, and, and just joy he has because we both share that same view as you do. That when you hear that we are more than conquerors, more than victors in Jesus, what more do we need? We have it all. But he says here there is safety in Christ. Verse 11 draws us out a little bit more. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Friends, despite life's challenges, God always nourishes, protects, and offers us a way of escape. He is our safety. And we are justified in him. We are saved in him. We are sealed up in him but we're also conquerors. And it says, how do we conquer? We conquer by the blood of the lamb. Ephesians 1.7, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Nothing Satan does can take away a promised savior. And nothing Satan does can take away a preserved salvation. Friends, we often use the Baptist phrase, maybe you heard it growing up, called once saved, always saved. Look, if you are truly saved, I think a better phrase is once preserved, always preserving. If you are saved, you will continue to walk in the ways of God. Look at verse 17. And we'll get there in a minute, but I want to point this out doubly here. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who are those who believe in Jesus? Jesus. They're walking in what he says, and they're secure in who he is and what he's done for them. How do you know you're saved? Do you desire to obey God, and do you, want, do you desire to follow God, specifically Christ? That'll be a big help in both ways. So as we transition, Satan has tried to break the promised Savior. He's tried to break up our salvation. So God's not only going to give you the way, he's going to give you the means as well. I want you to see number three. I want you to see the last point here. A promised Savior preserves salvation, but finally a provision secured. Verses 13 and 14. And he says, And when the dragon saw he had been thrown down to heaven or cast down to the earth, he pursued the woman. Again, the woman is, is figurative of all believers of all time, particular Israel, Gentile, all of us together who have faith in Christ, who had given birth to the male child. You say, what is that? How, how could believers give birth to the male child? That, that's another picture there, but even one of those believers did literally give birth to a male child, and we call her name at Christmas time, Mary, of course. That's why some believe this might be Mary, but we believe it's a picture here of what Christ has done, and you see there in verse 13, down to 14, but the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place that was to be nourished for a time, times, and time and a half. That phrase, the two wings of an evil eagle speak of God's providential protection. It's often used, especially in Exodus. Moses said this. You've seen, or Moses heard this from God, rather, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I, God, bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. The same word used in verse six, you may see that there, where it says, She was nourished or fed, is also the word used in verse 14. And that same word there at least in the ESV, is nourished. They were nourished for a time. Speaks of what God has done. And what has God done? He's fed them. He's protected them. He's protected all believers. God will never let you go. I love those little, little pictures on social media that come up and, and little phrases we say, God will never let you go. Oh, no. We sing songs like Matt Redman. Oh, no. He'll never let you go. All this And they're so true. But how do we know that's true? Because Jesus gave us this picture in Revelation 12. But it doesn't end there. Did you see what Satan tried to do? Look at verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman. In my little finite mind, I think of a a fire hydrant when when they open them up, like a firefighter opens it up and that water just... Why does he do that? Well, He wants to sweep her away from the earth. He wants to sweep away everything from the earth. His desire is to destroy the woman. And and the point of it is, some believe this flood refers to uh, his blasphemous words. Uh, We don't really know. But the, the point of it is, he's going to fail again. He's tried fighting heaven and God. He's tried fighting Michael, the archangel. And now he tries a flood, whether literal or figurative, and once again, it fails. What about verse 16? but the earth came to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Do you get that symbolic picture there? Out comes the Satan spewing whatever he spews and he's trying to catch up all God's people in a flood. But what did God say in Genesis chapter nine? He will never flood the earth again. Satan always takes something good God makes and turns it in an evil, terrible way. And so what you see here is that this could be in verse 16, a reference to a literal physical miracle. This actually happened in Numbers chapter 16, if you remember back then. Remember, Revelation's really just Old Testament disguised in New Testament terms, a lot of ways. Do you remember Korah? Korah's rebellion? He stood before Moses and said, Moses, how dare you lead us? I can lead too, and so can these guys. And what did God do to those people? The earth opened up and swallowed him up. It's possible that one of the great earthquakes we've heard about, literal or symbolic here, refers back to what's happening in verse 16. That God, when Satan sends out all his crazy things to trip up believers in the church, could be that God is swallowing it up like he did the sons of Korah and his sons and others. That's why Exodus 15, 12, Miriam's song says, You stretched out your hand, O God, and the earth swallowed them up, referring to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Bottom line is, every attack of Satan will utterly fail. So where does this end with? We'll end with this. Look at verse 17. Having failed to destroy the woman, he now goes to chase after her offspring. This is a reference, once again, of showing that no matter where people are, Satan will never let up. All believers of all time are under the same persecution. That phrase there in verse 17 that phrase, where it says to make war, probably refers back to Revelation eleven seven and coming next week in thirteen seven. But the point of it is, these believers were under heavy persecution, as were the original hearers of this letter. But I want you to see that they were overcoming. How are they overcoming? Because they kept the commandments of God. Friends, I can't say it enough. We don't. We are not saved by this book or by keeping the rules of this book, but the fact that we do follow the commands of Christ show that we know the God of this book. How did they overcome? They overcome by knowing the Lord. How did Jesus overcome in the wilderness when Satan came to him and said, I'll give you all the world? And what did Jesus say? Thus says the Lord. Christian, how do you overcome temptation in your life? Get back to the word. He overcame with that, but they also were preserved in, and persevered in their sanctification. Notice that word, and your Bible will say it. They held on to the testimony of Jesus. When this world says, trade what you believe about Jesus, and we will not kill you. Trade what you believe about Jesus, and you can keep your job. Trade what you believe about Jesus, and we will stop persecuting you. The Bible says that you cannot do that. Do you know that's what they used to do at the Coliseum in the years gone by? They would tell many of the people at the Coliseum, All you have to do is say, take some incense and throw it in a fire and say, say, hail Caesar, and you can live with your kids. Your life will be okay. But these people, in verse 17, didn't go there. They held on because of the word of God said that God had already given them the victory, and that was good enough for them. Amen? Friend, God hates you. God hates the church. God hates... Everything about you. He hates Christian unity. And this last slide will be up. God hates you. God hates the church. God hates the gospel advance. All these things Satan hates. (laughs) I was just checking you. That's right. Test, test, test. Are you awake? Satan wants you to think that God hates those things. There you go. You're really awake now, aren't you? Amy was giving me that look like, what is he talking about? Satan hates God. Satan hates God. Satan hates you. Satan hates Christian fellowship. Satan hates unity in Christ. And Satan hates the gospel advance, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I want you to know that if you're following God, you are right where you need to be and you're right where God would want you to be. And friends, how do you overcome everything? You thank God for a promised salvation. You thank God that he's preserved a promised Savior and a preserved salvation, and you thank God that he's provided the provision of his word and testimony to keep you strong because that's where it really all lies. Revelation 12.11. Amy, if you'll put that last slide on the screen. Revelation 12.11. Will you read this with me, if you can see it? And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Let's pray together. Father, as we close out today, we thank you that no matter what happens in this world, we are given that promised Savior. You've preserved our salvation, and you have given us the provision that is secure in Christ alone. Father, this is a tough book, with many opinions of godly people around the world. But on all this, we agree. You have crushed the head of the serpent. Even though he tries to bite, he's defanged, he's decommissioned. It's all talk. There's really nothing behind it. So, Father, we know and we walk in victory today. I pray for those in our church who are struggling with sins that nobody else knows about but you and them that, Father, You, by Your Spirit, would give them the power to fight whatever that is. Father, I pray for those in this room who are struggling to find identity within themselves, that they would look not at themselves or compare themselves, as Corinthians says, by themselves, but they would look, if they're Yours, to what Christ has done and find their identity in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those today who are struggling to to really know whether they're in you and they struggle with the salvation question, am I truly saved? That by checking their desire to follow you and their desire to follow your word, that those may be spirit-led indicators to take them back, to examine themselves, as Paul said, to see whether they are truly in the faith. There's so many applications here, but we are greatest for the biggest one, that when you said it is finished, you were not finished, Lord but Satan is finished, sin, death, and all the strangleholds are. We praise your name. Be with us as we close out today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.